values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Chris Maryland for Mike Broomhead, KTAR. Pleasure to have you here this morning, and uh, I always look forward to our time together. It, it really is my Christmas present, and so thank you. Thank you. Uh, joining me right now is one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, the great Barry Markson, the legal analyst with KTAR. Barry, uh, first of all, you know, happy holidays. Great to talk to you again. Merry Christmas, Chris. Thank you. Good. That was very nice. Thank you. Uh, the next thing I want to ask you, Barry, is if I'm a politician, what is my incentive not to claim election fraud before the election? Why in the world would I ever run an election on on anything without saying, if we lose this, it was stolen. I think the risk, if you're a politician, and I, we may have seen that here in Arizona, is people. some people say, why would I bother voting? They're just going to steal it anyway. And there's actually been some studies done to show that there is a small percentage of voters who are not voting now because they really do believe these elections are stolen. So, and I don't care which side of the aisle you're on, if I go into an election and I claim that the election is absolute fraud and that if I that I have overwhelming momentum the media is lying if I'm behind in the polls the media is lying uh, the pollsters are lying and if I lose the election it's because the election was stolen and I can build a, a big enough groundswell and I can get people to make donations in that regard it sure seems to me like this is a this has become an election strategy that we may see for a decade or more I agree with you. I, I don't know if it's a successful election strategy, but it's definitely a successful business model. Uh, there are a lot of people now who are making a really good living uh, off of this election denial lie stuff, and they're getting people to send them money and give them money. And, uh, you know, all they say is, "We're you know, help me fight this. And then they, they just keep collecting big checks. So there's definitely a business model out there of, uh, of grift. Uh, Barry, as a legal analyst, uh, a couple of questions came to mind when I saw the verdict about not only Carrie Lake having to pay $33,000 in fees to uh, pay for the legal experts on the the defense's side of of her challenge to the election, uh, but then... I also wanted to know, and, and, and it's sort of an election campaign legal question, does that come out of Carrie Lake's pocket or can that come out of the war chest? We see these, the, you know, the, the, the emails that were going out saying, we have to fight the Democrats' attempt to steal the election, donate now. And that's a campaign contribution, right? So that goes into a campaign fund. Can the, if, of that $33,000 that the Lake legal team has to pay for the the experts for for the the state of arizona can that just come out of that campaign fund in other words is this affecting carrie lake's checkbook at all or is this straight from her donors i I doubt it's affecting carrie lake's checkbook at all um and and it won't be coming from her lawyers the judge didn't sanction the lawyers or anything this is just an award of of an essence of costs and expert fees which is not unusual in, in a lawsuit the prevailing party often gets just their costs uh provided back to them not not legal fees. Um, but I also, and I don't know the answer to this question, but Carrie Lake's raising a lot of money now on things called, um, uh, you know, defense fund and, and things like that. So I don't know, just like Trump did after the 2020 election, he, he raised well over a million dollars, if not $150 million. And it went in, not into his campaign fund. It went into a different fund that gave him almost total control over it. He can do with it what he wants. So I, I don't know where, if people are still donating to Carrie Lake, and I don't know why they would be at this point, she's lost, but uh, if they are, I don't know that she doesn't get to have access to that money different than uh, uh, not under campaign laws. Oh, fascinating. So 
if I'm a donor to Carrie Lake, am I happy that I made a donation to fight the evil Democrats who are stealing the election? Or am I pissed off that I just made a donation to pay the Demo- to pay the bill for the Democrats to fight my attempts? I, I don't understand this at all, Chris, but my guess is these folks are excited. They made the payment. They're probably going to give her another donation now because she's appealing it, even though there's really no chance of her prevailing on appeal. Um, I, I, I'm completely stunned by people who continue to give money to these uh, charlatans, really, who are who are just taking money from their own supporters. It's, it's really amazing. Uh, they, they just don't yeah. seem to be able to grasp how our elections work. Uh, in that somebody wins and somebody loses. And the, the only reason Carrie Lake and these others lost is they didn't get as many votes as the other person. That's it. And we've had I'm actually glad we've had full on two trials now, full trials where two of these election deniers were able to put on their their evidence, so to speak. And it was just so glaringly lacking any proof uh, of their claims. It was it was amazing. But the fact that people are still supporting them and sending the money, I, I actually feel sad for these folks. I, I, I think it's a scam and it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. And again, it, it comes back to kind of the point I was trying to make is that if you're making a donation to help Carrie Lake, you're actually making a donation to help the people who are defending themselves against the lawsuit uh, that Carrie Lake is bringing, because that's helping to pay some of those uh, those uh, expert witness fees and such. Uh, Barry, yeah, you're is- right. You're, you're, give, you're giving money to the people you think are stealing the election. And right. you know, the other part of this is the folks who are, you know, the, the judge did not award sanctions against Carrie Lake and, and the, those folks, mm-hmm. the defense asked for their attorney's fees to be reimbursed. Those attorney's fees, for the most part, are being paid for by the public. It's us. So we're, it's our yeah. tax dollars that are paying for the lawyers for the Secretary of State's office and for Maricopa County. And we're being forced to spend tax dollars on this instead of on things that would actually help the community. It, it's the whole thing's a waste of time. It's, it's unfortunate. And but there's just a there's a group of folks now, some politicians who this is what they do. It, it's sad. Yeah, as you mentioned, it's become almost a, a side hustle for uh, I think some of the some of the people in the in the legal um, you know realm that uh, that have decided to take on these cases. So not only is somebody making a donation to Carrie Lake, who will then have to pay for the expert fees uh, that were used in defense against her, but the, also their tax dollars are going to pay for the Secretary of State in the state of Arizona to to fight against the uh, the. the yeah, the loss who brought about uh, by by Carrie right. Lake. Yeah, no, to, to, to them, Chris, it's just like a team, man. It's like it's like buying a ticket to watch the Cardinals play. You know, it doesn't matter they win or lose. You're gonna you want to buy the ticket. You want to support your team. That's how they look at it, I guess. Barry, what is uh, this? Is where I'm having a little bit of difficulty. The judge does not award the seven hundred thousand dollars that uh, the state's attorneys were asking for to to pay for everything, I suppose. Uh, but the the judge does award the $33,000. So the judge must have felt like it was the responsibility of the plaintiffs in this case, at least in some part. Why was it not the responsibility of the plaintiffs to pay that entire amount? So in, in most lawsuits in Arizona, you don't get an award of attorney's fees. Uh, there's exceptions to that. So, for example, a breach of contract case, if you are the prevailing party, the law actually calls for you to have your, your the other side to pay your attorney's fees. But in, in a lot of cases, that's not the case. So in election law cases... There's no automatic award of attorney's fees. What the defense asked for here was for the judge to, in essence, punish Carrie Lake and her lawyers for bringing a a frivolous or baseless lawsuit. The judge here found that there was at least enough there that that filing the lawsuit on its own and bringing these claims was not uh, that sanctions were not warranted. That's what he found. So it's it's not an unusual thing. An, An award of sanctions 
uh, or an order of sanctions is actually a very extreme thing. When you see that, it means somebody has, some attorney or a party has really done something abusive. The judge here, I think, was, was bending over backwards to give Carrie Lake every opportunity to bring her claim, uh, to have her claims heard, and, and obviously did not want to get into a sanction situation and, and didn't do that. Barry Markson is our legal analyst. And Barry, you're in for Gatos and Chad this afternoon, right? Am I right on that? Did I right. get the schedule right? Okay. So we'll have more uh, opportunity to, uh, to to listen to you here this evening, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. What are the chances of Carrie Lake uh, having an appeal heard? Uh, if, and again, you're the legal expert. I'm not. She has to ask for the appeal. The appeal has to be granted. What are the odds that the appeal the appeal is granted? Right. Well, she's she's filed the appeal, so she's asked the she's asked the appellate court to overrule the judge on three things. One is the granting the motions to dismiss eight of ten claims. Two, his order on the remaining two claims after trial, and three, the the award of uh, her the cost the ex, and the expert fees. Um, the this she's asked the Supreme Court to go straight to the Arizona Supreme Court, and it likely will in a very expedited fashion. I don't know if the Supreme Court's going to hear it this week uh, before. The, the new uh, officers are inaugurated next week. Uh, I would expect they will if, if they're there and in session. Uh, but, yeah, it, it'll, it'll be reviewed. My, I don't know if the, if the Supreme Court is going to ask for oral argument or additional briefing or if they'll just look at it. But most likely they'll ask for some briefing. They may have oral argument, and then the Supreme Court will issue a decision. But I expect it to happen relatively quickly uh, just because of the time frame we're all dealing with here. So is in the back of Carrie Lake's mind, is she still thinking she, she could be governor? I, I can't imagine that she or her attorneys are telling her that she that she could possibly have this decision overturned. But I but I could be wrong. I don't know what's in her mind, um, and frankly, it would hurt me to try to figure that out. But uh, <laughs> based on based on the judge's order, I mean, this judge um, really, like I said, he bent over backward to let her get all of her evidence in. All of her experts and witnesses came in. There, the only thing that she could do is show that the judge erred in some way that he did something wrong by not letting something in or making a decision that was incorrect based on law. His order was very thorough. He was very fair. Uh, even even her people have said he was fair. Uh, so okay. I'd, I'd be I'd be shocked to see anything uh, come from this from the appeal. Uh, but for whatever reason, whether it's to make more money or she just doesn't want to give up the fight ever or being seen as giving up the fight, uh, Carrie Lake is continuing the appeal. Uh, we'll see. Mark Fincham has threatened to appeal. I, I think he may have, but I haven't heard anything about that. Abe Hamaday has said he's there's no appeal from Abe Hamaday right now. Uh, he's saying he's going to see what the recount looks like tomorrow. Uh, he may appeal after that, but my guess is he won't appeal either. Can the Arizona Supreme Court just say no, or do yeah. they have to review it? Oh, they can't. Well, they have they, they have to review it. An appellate court has to at least look at it, uh, but they can decide how much time and effort to put into that review. If they want full briefing, if they want uh, oral argument, they they can decide how they want to handle it from there. All right. Fascinating. See, this is this is the intricacies that I think a lot of us are so unfamiliar with, but we rely on people like you, uh, who know it much better than us, to explain it to us when all of a sudden it becomes a national disgrace. So thank you for that, Barry. It's uh, it's it's good to have you straighten those things out for us. Uh, Barry Markson in for Dennis and Chad this afternoon, and Barry, uh, one of the one of the smartest guys I've ever met. I just love talking to him. Thanks, Barry. Thanks, Chris. Talk to you. All right, pal. We'll talk about, uh, you know, the lying liars and what they do in Washington. That is next. Chris Merrill in for Mike Broomhead, KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Chris Merrill in for Mike Broomhead, KTAR. 
I love this. Why well, I always call it the week of purgatory. It's this week between Christmas and uh, New Year's where just everything's at a standstill. Nothing gets done. I think we're all trying to sleep off our, our Christmas dinner comas. And God bless you for it. Uh, but as a result, uh, the A-teams in the newsrooms, are they tend to be on break, which means we get a lot of year in review and then what I call the year in preview. So uh, I, too, will indulge in such frivolity uh, coming up a little bit later on this hour because it's just stupid fun, and I like that. First, though, is we're talking about politics, and I don't like to bog the show down with too much politics, but it is it is still going on. We are at this point where we all accept that our our politicians are not always being 100% faithful. It's never the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Good politicians will not necessarily lie. They just may not tell you complete context, right? So it's, it's more of an embellishment. Sometimes there's an embellishment. Sometimes, there's a, sometimes it's just a flat-out fabrication. In the case of this this clown George Santos uh, out of New York, it's just fabrications in many cases. And then he's trying to backtrack on some of the things that he said in the past and and rationalize how it wasn't necessarily a lie. Early in the program, uh, I made mention of two things I don't do. Personally, I don't make donations to politicians. To me, that's a waste of my hard-earned money. Uh, I don't need to pay somebody else to lie to me. And uh, two, I don't professionally, I don't endorse politicians because I'm not hitching my wagon to somebody. Imagine if you're someone that came out and endorsed George Santos in Long Island. What an embarrassment. If you're unfamiliar, George Santos lied about almost everything on his resume, but he got elected anyway. And there really isn't a whole lot anybody's going to be able to do about that. So what's the incentive not to lie? If you lie in a resume and the New York Times catches you before the election, then you just point to the New York Times and say, that's a hit job. If you lie in a resume and it's not revealed before the election, what are the consequences? There are none. Here's a report ABC had on, uh, on this guy, uh, George Santos. Tonight, with no apparent shame, George Santos is preparing to take his seat in Congress, hours after admitting much of the biography he campaigned on was a fabrication. The reality is, is I'm human, I'm flawed, I'm not perfect. On the campaign trail, Santos made it sound like he worked for Goldman Sachs and Citigroup. I'm a businessman, just spent the last 14 years in finance. He now admits he worked for neither firm. I used a poor word, use of words, but I did work in the industry for a number of years. But Santos left open questions about his financial disclosures and how he was able to lend hundreds of thousands of dollars to his campaign, something critics say should be investigated. So I hope I can earn your vote on November 8th. Uh Santos lied about graduating from college and about owning real estate, and he hyped his Jewish heritage, talking about how his grandparents survived the Holocaust. He told the New York Post his grandmother later converted to Catholicism. He described himself as Jew-ish. What? I always joke, I'm Catholic, but I'm also Jew-ish, as in ish. Oh, I see. He's Jew-ish. He's not Jewish. He's just Jew-ish. Still, is anybody going to vote him out? He's going to get those committee assignments. Sad Washington. All right, we'll talk about those, uh, the year in preview. Chris Maryland from Mike Broomhead, KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. 
Hey there, Chris Merrill in for Mike Broomhead. ATAR. Hopefully you are uh, not hitting any of those traffic snags today with the weather what it is. And uh, hopefully you're, like me, are able to just sort of enjoy this uh, winter storm. I always want to call it a winter storm. I no, I know it can be it can be nasty. I get I it can be treacherous. I understand. But eh, when we take a look at what's happened to the rest of the country in the last week, uh, the rain that we get here is not much of a storm. It is no it makes the road slick. Don't get me wrong. But uh, it ain't. It's just not a, it's not a winter storm uh, in the way that many people think of a winter storm. Just the same. Hope you're safe. Hope all is well. End of the year is a fantastic time for the laziest reporting in all of journalism. Lists. Love lists. I once had a a program director tell me, people love lists. I've always looked at lists as what we would describe as C material. In other words, they're there. It's okay. But it's not really all that engaging. It's a list. It's a little bit boring. So... I always felt like if I had a story about a list, it better be either a really good list or I better do something to make it a little more entertaining, right? Yeah, because it's, it's I'm going to give you a list that's factual. You're going to learn something, so that's good, but it's just not very entertaining. Well, what if I had a list of fantastic predictions from the most famous uh, uh, predictor of all time? The greatest prophet in uh, recent ish history nostradamus and what he predicts for 2023 now we're talking about a list baby here's what nostradamus thinks for 2023 if you're unfamiliar nostradamus was the uh, the astrologer the plague doctor he wore one of those giant masks and he was also an accused heretic and he was a seer who wrote a number of predictions they were they were such that uh, every stanza was its own mystical writing. Uh, nothing was exactly clear. It was always written with sort of a horoscopic... Uh, I don't know if that's a word. A horoscopic uh, 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 a sense to it where you could interpret after the fact that he made a prediction and it came true. Referred to as the prophet of doom, Nostradamus's bleak worldview is believed to have been shaped by heavy doses of the Old Testament and the trauma of losing his wife and young children to illness, presumably the plague. Unable to cure the ones he loved most, it seems he set out to forewarn the rest of us through his uh, revelations of ruin. This is from the New York Post. The all of the New York Post for their entertainment value. Uh, his uh, famed uh, book of publications, Les Prophetises, In 1555, Nostradamus gifted the world and its future generations a quasi-poetic tome that predicts wars, pestilence, natural disasters, civil unrest, political assassinations, and other such sunny stuffs. Heavy on language like blood rain, the book is an enduring classic. And now let's take a look at what he's predicted uh, for 2023, as well as what he what he may have predicted correctly for 2022. Uh, incidentally, a little personal aside about Nostradamus, uh, it was, I believe it was the week of purgatory when I was in sixth grade that there was a, a documentary, and you know how bad documentaries were back in the 80s and 90s. 
It was so dry. It was like it was like crap. PBS wouldn't show because it was too boring, and that's what uh, my sixth grade math teacher put that on. He says we're not doing any math this week. Here, watch this movie <laughs> because I told you that week between Christmas and New Year's is purgatory. So he put in the documentary on Nostradamus. It was the most boring documentary and also the most engaging one we'd ever been involved in uh, in school. Because again, all documentaries back in the day were boring. So what about? Uh, predictions for 2022. Uh, according to people who look at uh, Nostradamus predictions in hindsight, uh, they claim that he predicted the rise of artificial intelligence. He predicted cryptocurrency. And he also predicted a surge in cannibalism as a response to inflation. So uh, as the New York Post uh, plays out, how well did that go for him? Well, uh, Bitcoin was a bust. Inflation is very high. And as far as cannibalism goes, Dahmer was Netflix's uh, second most watched show in history. So I guess that's your rise in cannibalism. What about the future? Nostradamus predicts, like the sun, the head shall sear the shining sea. The Black Sea's living fish shall all but boil. There you go. So, remember, in 1555, uh, the discovery of North America was only 60 years old. So, everything was still based on, it was very Eurocentric, right? So, it wasn't like he was going to say Lake Okeechobee was going to warm up. So, uh, according to people who love to predict in hindsight, they say, no, that's that's true. Uh, The most commonly eaten fish species could face extinction as a direct result of climate change. Or what Nostradamus may have called boiling of the Earth's oceans. So you got that. Nostradamus predicting next year that a celestial fire on the royal edifice, which I guess means that a meteor is going to strike Buckingham Palace? Or maybe again back to Netflix and the bombshell of the Harry and Meghan Markle interviews, I guess? Could be something. He also predicts World War III, and this stands out in my mind because during that sixth grade when the teacher just lazily threw the the Nostradamus uh, documentary into the VCR, which we had to sign out from the AV room, uh, he threw that into the the VCR, and I remember them talking about how there would be this uh, World War III, and it's coming. Uh, So here it is. He writes that in 2023, the world uh, embroiled in seven months' great war, people dead through evil. So, we do have the Russia-Ukraine conflict going on right now, and there has been concern that we would be dragged into it, which could bring about World War III. This conversation that we had in the last year could be the case. Could be. The prophecy points to the conflict escalating into a full-scale war into the year to come, which, given the nuclear arsenals at stake, could equate to apocalyptic levels of destruction. And he also says the Antichrist is coming. So this is a big year for us. I mean, really, as humanity goes, uh, climate change will boil away all of the fish and our food supplies. Uh, World War III is coming, and the Antichrist is showing up. And quite frankly, if the Antichrist is showing up in 2023, it means the Antichrist is already out there. And for many of you that are divorced, you probably have an idea of who the Antichrist might be. 
According to Nostradamus, the Antichrist very soon annihilates the three. Twenty-seven years his war will last. The unbelievers are dead, captive, exiled, with blood, human bodies, water, and red hail covering the earth. So, you got that going for you. Some are wondering if it's Elon Musk. No joke. Some are saying, is it Vladimir Putin? Could it be Elon Musk? Got that going for you. Just the same. Remember, everything is written in a vague manner so that people can fill in the blanks and claim he was right. And they've been doing it for centuries. And damn, is it entertaining. All right. The end of the year is here, which for some of you means a raise is coming. And for others, it means you're going to have to fill out your unemployment forms. I'll tell you how this shakes out come the first of the year next. Chris Merrill in for Mike Broomhead, KTAR. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All right, Chris Merrill in for Mike Broomhead, KTAR. We'll, uh, we'll discuss that mess when it comes to Southwest and what the uh, CEO says. It's just not enough, in my humble opinion. And then also what Pete Buttigieg, the uh, Secretary of Transportation, has to say about what the government may do. Sounds like Greg Stanton wants the uh, the CEO to answer for a few things as well. It's never fun for a CEO to have to testify in Congress, especially when it's a CEO who I don't think is going to find any sort of friendly fire. We've seen that play out before where you have somebody that gets hauled in front of Congress, but you've got uh, either the Democrats are on their side, and so the Republicans will grill them, but the Democrats uh, will heap praise on them, like uh, Anthony Fauci, for instance, or it'll be the other way around where it's somebody that the the Republicans are like, I'm so glad to see you here. You're a true American patriot. And then the, the Democrats will say, why do you hate America? Right? When it comes to the CEO of Southwest or the airlines, I'm not seeing a lot of people lining up to say, we just think you're dandy. I think it's just going to be, oh, it's going to be a firing squad from both sides. He's just upset everybody. And every politician wants to stand on the ire of the individuals who suffered at the hands of Southwest and try to make some political hay out of it. So we'll discuss a little further coming up here uh, after our 11 o'clock news. Uh, Year end is uh, not a great time for a lot of places. It is firing season. It is. Uh, And the reason... You've got companies that are taking a look at their bottom lines coming out of the last year and going into the next year. They're putting together their budgets, and they're trying to decide where they can trim the fat, if there's fat to be trimmed. It's been pretty good for the last few years because we've had some economic growth. Pretty solid, right? So we haven't had these these companies that are putting together budgets and they're fearful of what the, the coming year may bring. Instead, they're putting together budgets and their projections are oftentimes coming in low. You know, if you're uh, if you're Exxon, you look and you say, wow, uh, I don't know, we might only make uh, $3 billion. And then all of a sudden, oh, we made $9 billion. Oh, that worked out well for us. But what happens when you're coming off years where you're making a bunch of money and then you have inflation hitting 40-year highs, uh, you're still making a bunch of money. Things are still going well. The stock market is slowing a little bit. Unless you're Southwest, your stocks are doing okay. Uh, so things are slowing down a little bit right now, which was the intention because inflation was, was, uh, uh, was getting crazy. The economy was growing too quickly. Things were too good. 
And it has what is uh, what is thought of as a mushroom effect, you know, where a, a mushroom will grow straight up and then it starts to sort of it, it, it has the mushroom head and then the cap of the mushroom gets too large and it starts to fall down on itself and it crushes itself under its own weight. That's what the economy was basically doing. So companies are saying, "Uh oh, we don't want to crush ourselves under our own weight. We may be headed toward a recession as part of the efforts to correct this uh, booming economy. What are we going to do? And so a lot of places are making cutbacks. The tech sector is huge. Uh, Facebook um, and uh, others in the tech sector, I think, what was it, 11,000 people? Pepsi, Amazon, Cisco, and Snap announcing plans to to, uh, cut headcounts in the coming years. Uh, excuse me, in the, in the coming months in order to prepare for the next year. For workers preparing for the holidays, the timing couldn't be worse, although federal data shows that December and January tend to be popular months for layoffs because corporate budgets restart when the calendar changes. A spike in recent layoffs is playing out differently from the pandemic-era cuts that fell heavily on hourly workers in leisure and hospitality and entertainment. And this time around, it's many white-collar professionals who could work remotely that were spared. But the in-house White-collar professionals, they're the ones that are taking a hit right now. And some remote white-collar professionals as well. Some companies are trying to figure out if they're going to bring people back in-house. They like to have a little bit of control over individuals. But those those low-wage workers, actually, they're doing okay being low-wage workers. Even with a number of places that are raising minimum wage, and what is it, uh, 8 million workers are likely to get a raise on New Year's as states step up to raise their minimum wages, that according to Business Insider. So a bunch of people are going to get a raise simply because they're making the least amount allowed. But if you're a company trying to save money, cutting the menial workers doesn't save you a bunch of money. It's cutting those six-figure workers that save you uh, more when it comes to your, your HR costs, right? Annual raises uh, in some places over $1,000 a year, like, for instance, in Delaware, simply because their minimum wage is going up. So if you're working uh, X amount of hours, maybe you're getting 40 hours at minimum wage, you're going to make an extra $1,000. So that's great. Over 2 million parents are set to see their pay go up, according to uh, one study. The increases across the country are going to add two more states to the $15 an hour club. Massachusetts is going to have their minimum wage jump to $15, and Washington State to fifteen seventy-four. dollars uh, Workers in Massachusetts will make $659 more annually on average, while workers in Washington will get $850 more on average. So for some people, they may be losing their cush job uh, in December and, and headed into the new year. And for others, they are going to see a little more cush in their job. I worked for a company at one point. Well, I guess this was one of, it was before I ended up working for that company. Uh, but I had a buddy that, that had gone to work for a, a giant radio conglomerate. And he started working there, I believe, in October. So he was the last man in. And then the company did one of their big nationwide layoffs, the right sizing. You see, the reduction in force, the riff. And, uh, <laughs> and so... It's like two weeks before Christmas, and they they pink slip him, and he's walking he's walking through the hall, and he's carrying his box of stuff, and one of the radio hosts who uh, was a, a national radio host at the time, uh, uh, my buddy says to him, he says, "Well, Mike, it was nice working with you. I'm out of here," and he says, well, "You're out of here, huh?" And he goes, "Yep, I got right size." He goes, "Oh." Welcome to radio. Merry effing Christmas. 
<laughs> Incidentally, uh, 10 years later, I got right-sized by the same company. Uh, they waited until just after the new year, though. I believe it was the first week of the new year when they started cutting people. Which, in hindsight, I know they were trying not to fire people before the holidays. But if I'd have known I wasn't going to have a job after the holidays, I probably would have budgeted my holidays a little better. So I guess there's a give and take when it comes to that. You'd be disgusted that somebody fired you right before the holidays. Uh, on the other hand, if they do, you start budgeting for, for gift giving a little bit differently. And you maybe don't run that credit card up quite so high. All right, we'll talk about the mess of trying to travel right now. And for people who are coming here for the bowl games, uh, this is this is an absolute disaster. That's next. Chris Maryland for Mike Broomhead, KTAR.